into people's lives. And, you know, communities that are on the water kind of get this mm -hmm. water connection. Uh, and the more we can spread that, that just fascination, curiosity, I, I think the better. You know, we've got the Cleveland crib here behind my shoulder. Um, just a phenomenally cool, like, hey, we're sucking in lake water from five miles out. It's traveling miles. The lake's like, it's cold on the bottom, warm on the top. There's all kinds of stuff happening out there. And then it ends up in your in your tap. So it, it, it helps to build this trust back too. And this is one thing that was evident during the Toledo water crisis. These buoys helped restore that trust of we're, we're watching the lake. We know what it's doing. Hello and welcome to Lakes Chat. I'm your host, Jennifer Caddick with the Alliance for the Great Lakes. In today's episode, we're chatting with Ed Verhamey, Principal and Senior Engineer with Limnotech. He oversees a network of buoys and sensors around the Great Lakes that support boaters, fishermen, search and rescue crews, weather forecasters, drinking water treatment plant operators, and nuclear power plants to help them understand weather, waves, and water quality conditions on the lakes. He's also the past president of the International Association of Great Lakes Researchers. He's been involved in dozens of Great Lakes and other large lake projects that push the limits of technology and innovative research and development. Welcome, Ed. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. This is great. So I'm really excited to nerd out about uh, the lakes and buoys with you today. Um, but I think some of our listeners are probably thinking like buoys, like what, what's the big What's the big deal? Why worry about this? Because I think those buoys are things that most of us will never interact with directly, um, but they can impact our daily life. You know, they help those water treatment plant operators make sure our water is safe. They help us have a safe day boating. So describe the big picture. You know, what is this network and why is it important? Yeah, that's a big question. I. <laughs> Yeah, I think just just stepping back to the Great Lakes, you know, the uh, the the sheer size, it's 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 hard to keep remembering how big they are. And I think if you're on the lakes every day, you're you you know this tiny little area you go or or how far across the lakes are. I think, you know, I'm in Ann Arbor here now, and the more the longer you're away from them, the smaller they seem to get in size. Uh, so I think I'm always just reminded by how vast and large they are. And they're, they're a huge resource. I mean, it's, it's an unparalleled global resource that we use for drinking water, um, tons of commerce. I mean, the sort of uh, shipping that happens on the Great Lakes commercially, as well as the recreational boating and the commercial fishery, it's just un, an unparalleled global resource. So when you, when you think about in our information age, um, how much we try and understand, you know, traffic and, you know, what's the weather to, today so I can put a, do it, you know, do I need a coat for my kids? So there's this sort of parallel decision process that's happening when people that are working on the water, whether it's boating, fishing, driving a commercial freighter, and the amount of data they have, um, it's, it's surprisingly little. We make very few observations of the Great Lakes, um, waves, winds, mm -hmm. we're mostly relying on these projections of, well, it's this windy onshore, so it must be this windy offshore. Um, mm -hmm. And I think our our modeling, you know, our, our ability to use computer models to understand what's happening on the lake, if we're not measuring it, it it's certainly gotten better, but those models are wrong. They need to be uh, fixed. They're not they're not seeing this one storm system moving across. And, you know, we haven't, we haven't, the uh, 
first substantial investment we had in observing the Great Lakes is the year after the Edmund Fitzgerald sank. Um, mm. That was one of the largest investments in observing in the Great Lakes. And it's, you know, for all the <laughs> advanced tech they had in the 1970s, they weren't monitoring the lakes and they, and they could have been. Um, so I think we've only seen a these sort of periodic large reinvestments in monitoring. The most recent is concerning drinking water and understanding, mm. um, you know, after the uh, Toledo water crisis and even portions of the Flint uh, water crisis, you know, what's going on with water affects millions of people almost instantly. So I think these these sort of reminders of the value of water, um, I'm always interested in how we can use the available technology and and grow the number of observations. Yeah, and it it seems to me like when I was reading up on this network that there's been some really big technology changes in like the past decade or so that has helped you and your team and everybody who works on this project um, vastly expand this network. So explain to us a little bit about what it was like before, you know, back in say the 70s when they were first starting to deploy some of this on the water technology and what's changed a little bit. Yeah, one of one of the biggest. I mean, we we've always had going back to the even the 30s and 40s, like technology to monitor water has always been advancing at some you know rate of you know like how do we measure currents or how do we measure waves, and then how does that actually how does that data actually get transmitted to I'd say the internet? I mean, what we know is the internet today. You know, back then it was. How do you log it to a paper log, or how do you save it to a to an onboard uh, a disk that you can retrieve later? So as we've seen the just computer sector, uh, technology sector increase that capability of a self logging instrument, um, we've thought about well, how does that data actually leave that buoy in near real time and go to uh, another set of users that aren't on the lake right now or are nearby and want to know what that data is. They don't want to wait till someone downloads it. So there's kind of been this parallel track development between a say scientific understanding of the lakes as well as this operational use of it. And that's kind of, you know, you get to the seventies with Edmund Fitzgerald. It's, it's like, you know, it's great. We had a wave model of the lakes, but if that information of the waves right now on the Eastern end of Lake Superior can't be transmitted to that boat, then, you know, we're still missing a whole nother value and risk proposition for how to use technology. So um, we've also, um, just as we've advanced uh, the cell phone technology in our pockets, we've had at our disposal some of that same technology with uh, smaller, less um, power and more options for getting data to the internet. So that's that's what's really accelerated it in the last 10 years is that, um, borrowing of technology and that you know we don't have a million buoys on the great lakes it's not like these things are produced in ginormous quantities so we're always in a lower quantity trying to weed through what's available i mean i had a presentation once that it it just strapped a cell phone to a a, a life jacket i mean <laughs> that's like super technology packed and we don't have that so anyway that's just a tiny look at how technology gets into uh, buoys. Yeah. And can you describe for us, and we'll put up on our website, there's some great blogs that that show these and show you and your team like deploying them, but describe for our listeners, like what, a, like how tall, like what does it actually look like if you were to like come upon one out on the lakes? Like what would somebody see out there? 
Yeah, some of the original buoys that they put out in the 1970s are are still actually deployed to this day. They're huge, 10 foot across, um, or I'm sorry, they're they're a 10 meter discus buoy, which is 30 feet across. And some of the ones, the smaller ones are only 10 feet across. So mm. these are massive steel structures that have like a half donut uh, or a half, uh, half a circle uh, hull to it. The, um, those take a big uh, Coast Guard cutter to deploy. The ones that we work with and put closer to shore, um, it, it looks like a spacecraft, I'd say. <laughs> it's, got like a, it's got a cone shape. Uh, it's made out of fiberglass. And these are the ones that we started putting out about 10 years ago. It just got a weird instrument mast on it. It's, it's trying to be about as small as it can be with hosting quite a bit of scientific uh, instruments as well as radios and some uh, web cameras. Um, the ones that we put out this year can almost just be thrown out of the, out of the boat. They're made out of foam. Wow. Um, they have some solar panels on top, which are power the whole thing. Uh, so they're, you, you'd notice it. You'd be like, wow, there's something going on with that small <laughs> yellow floating thing. And we're, we're generally, you know, these buoys aren't marking navigation hazards. So they kind of pop up in places where you're like, why is that there? And it's, mm -hmm. It's, it's generally near some populated area or water intake. So, Yeah. And most of those, you're, you're also probably, now that I'm thinking about this, right, you're probably bringing them in in the winter. They don't, unless it's one of those big stationary, they're, right, because they can't. No, they all come in, all the buoys, remember. almost yeah. every buoy on the Great Lakes has to come in in the winter. And this is sort yeah. of our, you know, mm -hmm. northern freshwater lake, all freeze. And so, we, yeah, we do have to take them in every year. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm fascinated by this, like the idea that we have, you mentioned this before, we have this onshore information, but sometimes we don't really know what's happening on one of the lakes in real time. And so, you know, from my understanding, there's kind of two big-ish buckets of data that these buoys are collecting. There's kind of the meteorological stuff, you know, weather, wave heights, et cetera. And then some are collecting water quality data and some are collecting all the above. So I want to kind of dig into those two buckets. So let's start with this meteorological data. Like what, tell us a little bit more about what is collected and how's it used? How's that information used from a meteorology standpoint? Yeah. So we look at wind speeds, uh, wind direction, you know, those are, that's the, the driving force that's building waves. So if you know the winds, you can generally get an idea of what the waves are going to look like. And, you know, when we when we think about the open waters of the Great Lakes and some major cities um, measuring wind speed on water, and this just happened the other day, you'd think about storms moving from Milwaukee and are going to slam into West Michigan. Uh, the buoy is going to be the first point that you're measuring wind speeds before those winds slam into the shoreline. So I think we're able to uh, use them as this uh, pre-storm warning system of, hey, there's 60 mile an hour straight winds coming right at the shoreline. Um, they're also measuring air temperature, which when you look at how we calculate um, uh, lake evaporation, it's really dependent on what's the air temperature and water temperature differential. When you're thinking about that, you know, if you're in Traverse City and it's 60 degrees and it's 90 degrees further inland toward Cadillac, you know, that that lake is the problem. These lakes create their own weather. So I think we're, we're mostly trying to um, use that data to um, warn people in real time of what's happening, but also drive those forecast models, which are very dependent on that offshore onshore difference. Um, so mm -hmm. we're also measuring uh, barometric pressure so we can see when 
you know, the real driver of wind is pressure differences. So he can understand that pressure differential. Um, and uh, solar radiation is something we measure how sunny it is. So mm. if, if you're trying mm -hmm. to think about uh, growth of algae, warming of water from solar radiation, you're going to want to understand sunlight. And so tell us a little bit about the water quality data part, right? Like, you know, I know you mentioned the um, Toledo water crisis, and um, my impression is that drove the, the deployment of some buoys out there. Like what kinds of data, water quality data are you collecting and, and how is that used? And is it location specific or are you collecting the same kinds of data across all your buoys, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think, you know, when you think about the Great Lakes, there's going to be certain parts that are going to have more problems with one issue than another area of the Great Lakes. So uh, Lake Erie, you're going to think algal blooms. So you're going to want to measure uh, chlorophyll, which is more the more scientific term, but that's just it's just how green the water is, how green does it look. We're also measuring how brown the water is uh, with suspended sediment and um, turbidity. Uh, so I think these sensors are trying to capture some larger scale phenomenon, like where is this massive algal bloom? Is it at this location right now? And is, is the intensity uh, or concentration changing? Um, so we, we generally tailor, you know, these are expensive, more expensive instruments. They're made in even much lower volume than the atmospheric ones that I mentioned earlier. So these are very specialized. They're fancy optical instruments, shining lights and reflecting, re reflecting back into the uh, lens and they also have a wiper that keeps this optical window clear hmm. um, so they're pretty high tech but they're really valuable in relaying that um, that quality of the water and it's you know we should watch what we think about when we think quality uh, more green doesn't mean poor quality uh, mm -hmm. it it just means there's more things living in it um, and sometimes those things can be harmful. So we're, we're, we're trying to um, use instruments that scientists would use uh, and then feed these data streams in that informed people can use this data and pair it with toxin measurements to say, oh, it's green and it's toxic. So there's, there's mm -hmm. some um, co-use of this data. So I just watch that word quality because people generally think in terms of water quality of their tap water, like, can I drink the water? Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a real decoupling once we get out into just the looking at the lakes, so... Sure. And, you know, you sort of alluded to this, you know, obviously you all aren't doing this by yourselves. It's not just you out there dumping these buoys into the lakes. Um, you've got a big team and you're working with a lot of different partners. Um, so tell us a bit about the partnerships. And I don't know if you have a good example, like that make a, the deployment of these buoys happen, but then once the kinds of partners that are using this data. Yeah. And it, and this is where it gets really fun. I mean, this is where you start um, getting out into local communities, working with fishing groups, working with uh, county cities, uh, universities. And, and this is really where that technology piece has allowed a whole different tier and organization level to come in. So, you know, historically it was just the federal government. So you had to, it had to be decreed from Washington that, that the Coast Guard cutter was going to put out this big, huge buoy. And, and that's not the case anymore. So I think we're, we're into a um, level of applying this technology that we can work with, uh, say, the University of Toledo, uh, train their students how to um, 
with this, it's 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 a lot of marine um, handling. So we got shackles and chain and mooring lines, and we've got scope. So you're really thinking a lot about some uh, marine applications here. Uh, and then, you know, their buoys measuring harmful algal blooms, and they're pairing that with measurements. Um, so that's kind of a university example. We also the um, origin of our program really comes from the University of Michigan. Um, using their engineering department and their naval naval architecture marine engineering to design this buoy in the first place so we've um, you know benefited from a university core that helps to uh, do R&D on this technology and we work to find suppliers and manufacturers that can produce this and we can assemble it set it up test it and get it deployed so you know I think we we support buoys um, all the way from near Chicago, all the way over to Ashtabula, Ohio right now. And every buoy has a different story of um, who helps put it out, why it's there, where does the data go, um, who's it helping, is it, a, is it first a science project, uh, but then we can share the data to voters for the waves. Um, so I think that that collaboration is is key and I think it's bridging this you know, public-private partnership, like pretty square on the on the, on the nose. So, you know, and I love um, I love that collaboration happens. That these buoys can help a lot of different people, a lot of different services. Um, and the you know, I know that there are a couple of really fun examples that I've seen of how the public are interacting with these buoys. You know, there's the Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. They have a really great Twitter feed called Two Yellow Buoys, which is, I guess their buoys have, um, uh, you know, video cameras on them. So they're capturing photos or, or maybe video um, and some really amazing data about waves and wind on the lakes. I think it's WOOD TV and Grand Rapids uses theirs and some of their yep. nightly newscasts. So how would how would a regular person interact with some of these buoys and bigger picture, how do you, how do they help educate the public? Yeah, I, you know, if you're a boater or sailor or just, you know, lake enthusiast, you can just search Great Lakes Buoys and you'll come up with some uh, web links pretty easy. You can search for the city you're near. So Cleveland Buoys, um, Google should have a good quick quick link for that. Um, there's also wherever you get your um, weather forecasts for the, the marine weather forecasts, uh, we share data from all of these buoys with those same outlets. So if, if, you, if you're on a smartphone and you go to your app store and search for NOAA buoy, um, our, our data will show up on there. Uh, mm -hmm. There's also a text message um, system, which we can sort of post in some of the show notes where you can uh, send a text message and you can get the buoy data back right away, which is which is kind of neat. It's, it's just an instant way to um, sort of communicate back with the buoy via um, text message. Um, and, you know, the, there's, there's sort of these two, you know, if you're a I say recreational user, you might go and access this data directly, but, um, and that might help you decide, Hey, it's five o'clock. Should I run down to the lake today with my boat or should I just go home? So there's tons of people are making those decisions. I'm sure it's happening right now. <laughs> you know, people are thinking like, oh, it looks kind of nice out there. Is it worth it? And they can just go check real quick. They don't have to waste gas and, and this may be, and, and once they're out there, they're like, oh, you know, I just spent all this time and effort. I'm going to go out anyway, and it might not be safe. So I think that's that's really helped the ordinary non-lakefront uh, beach person from 
say, hey, should I go to the lake? Um, there's there's also this whole other uh, impact of these buoys, which is, you know, people's jobs. It is to uh, account for some level of risk of working on the Great Lakes. So we talked about freighters. Mm-hmm. Um, previously, they would just have to make a, I don't know, stick your finger in the air and, you know, uh, pink sky in the morning, you know, kind of kind of like sailors advice. And I think this data can help really reduce the risk of of them making a a decision which could be, you know, life or death for a, a whole crew. Um, data also goes to the U.S. Coast Guard, who has to dispatch um, crews of people to figure out, hey, there's a boater in distress. Um, which way is the wind blowing? Where are they going? Where should we look first? Um, it's also supporting beach uh, forecast models of bacteria. So we know that under certain wind, wave, and water quality conditions, uh, the beach should probably be closed Um in the morning, you know, we don't have to wait till the next day after we get a bacteria result back that said, hey, the beach should have been closed yesterday. So I think I think a lot of ordinary people don't quite know how this data is being used. But the end result is, um, you know, less risk for the people that are entrusted to make those decisions that involve water. And how do you pick where a buoy goes? Is it just somebody approaches you all and your team and they say, hey, we have some funding and we think we want one here? Or is there like a, I'm just sort of curious how, you, how you're making decisions about that, how, how those get deployed? Because I'm sure there's so many different places and uses that every, is on a big wish list somewhere. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, um, you know, 10 years ago, with how expensive and relatively few people knew how to work with this, it was really who who who's going to raise their hand and state the biggest need, and that was, you know, big cities with drinking water, um, or that was some of the most populated boating areas in the Great Lakes, and there's you know one or two federal grants available. Um, when when you bring the cost down by 70, 80% for this, and you can deploy it on an ordinary boat, you really start changing that, that answer. And it's, it's still generally been led by the people that, that want them there. I think, you know, there is no um, magic line item federal budget that says, you know, here's uh, funding for a hundred new buoys or 200 or something. So you're still going to have to work with um, the sustainability of that asset. And I think that's where I've, I've really enjoyed you know, working with people that want the buoy there in the first place or say, Hey, um, I think there's enough interest. I think we can do this because that sort of approach and attitude, it helps with the sustainability. Um, cause the operation and maintenance and cycling in of new technology and keeping data going to the internet, that's, that's certainly the hardest part, you know, getting a one-time grant to, um, quote, get a buoy is only the start. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it, I mean, my personal interest is if, like where do the most people in the Great Lakes fish, drink the water, swim, boat, and that's who we should be serving first, I think. And there's sort of a scientific interest in, you know, the vast expanses of the open waters of northern Lake Huron or or Lake Superior, which, you know, we should absolutely understand for climate change. There's a lot of things we're, we're sort of missing with these signals. Uh, so I don't. There's there's probably two answers to that science let's let science lead and then also where are the people where's life and and property most at risk and that's generally where I focus my work on yeah 
And about, I'm realizing I didn't ask you how many buoys. You said they're sort of generally from kind of the southern Lake Michiganish area over to Ash, about Ashtabula, Ohio. About how many are there? Yeah, if if we step back to that, you know, what the federal government had back in the, um, all the way up to the early 2000s, there was only 10 buoys in the whole Great Lakes. Um, you know, it's about 10. There was two, about two per lake is what the federal government funded. Huh. Um, there was a few more from Environment Canada that came along with the Canadian Coast Guard. And then we, we saw a, uh, from 2010 to about 2015, we added maybe 10 more. And then from 2015 through to the present, we've added about 60 to 70 more. Um, and most of those are clustering around some university um, uh, partner, University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, University of Minnesota, Duluth. So people that have like a marine uh, program. Um, we've, as a sort of, I guess, private operator, we've we've tended to uh, support small universities to to have these buoy programs, um, as well as maintaining and putting out some of our own. So, so you know, the ones that we we put out are about um, there's about fifteen to twenty of them. Um, we we added about. Uh, 10 new ones this year on Lake Erie. And so I'm most interested in, you know, now that they're cheaper and we can uh, support whole networks a lot easier than we can just one bigger one by itself. That's so we just put 10 in Lake Erie only in the Ohio waters, one for each County. Uh, So I think Ohio uh, from Toledo to Ashtabula is the most connected wired monitored um, portion of the Great Lakes, which I, I mean, I think that's great. I think, I think the, the amount of use of the lake, the drinking water, the harmful algal mm-hmm. blooms. Um, so. Yeah. And what's your, you were sort of heading there. What's your vision for the future, you know, in 10, 15, 20, 40 years, like, what would you like to see this become? Yeah, I think, you know, there's again, two parts of the answer. I think, you know, COVID really revealed how, um, how much we had relied on people just being able to observe and be out on the water uh, for some of those mm-hmm. risk things when we were trying to reduce staff and and really limit how many uh, people are on call or something. We we switched to using technology a lot more, and I, I I don't see that stopping. I see I see us adding more observations near critical infrastructure near um, urban centers that have so many different impacts from water, um, whether it's erosion or, um, you know, water level changes and, and just that general boating or community interest. So I, I see that continue. Um, I'm also, you know, aware, like people are losing, I'd say general curiosity about the lakes, you know, we can use technology to show people and just keep, keep them aware. Hey, it's nice out there today. You should go out there. Um, here's a webcam image and, and really trying to draw those data streams into what people are already sitting time consuming on their phone. So, you know, and you're so, if you're going to sit and scroll on social media, I want you to see posts about the lake and how great it is today and what everyone else is doing out there. So I think technology allows us to get back into people's lives, be a little bit more relevant with the, how people just consume and spend their day. Um, so these sensors and technology allow people to, to, to feel connected to the lake and to want to get back out there. You know, and I, I love that. I know there are a couple of other examples, but uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that two yellow buoys uh, Twitter feed and every once in a while, something pops up on my feed from there that just makes me 
remember, and we started out talking about this, like how huge and amazing the lakes are, right? Like whether it's data about like, whoa, we had a wave that was this big or, um, you know, some weather condition that, that we aren't connected with that on the lakes, you know, just sitting in our apartments or houses or wherever. Um, and I'm always just, every once in a while it pops up and I'm like, ah, oh, man, this is a reminder of just how amazing and huge and powerful these lakes are. Yeah. And I, I mean, as a person that's been on the water, you kind of know there's these, like the lakes do weird things and it's neat to be able to see some of that under the surface behavior. I mean, there are these giant bathtubs and waters, you know, they have tides, the water's moving around. We can see some very interesting things. Um, and it is, it is a challenge that, that, that two yellow buoys, they, they added a third buoy last year. So I think they're, they're, actually, three. they're actually three yellow buoys, but I don't think they're going to change their name. Um, but yeah, that, that connection to people's lives and, you know, communities that are on the water kind of get this mm-hmm. water connection. Uh, and the more we can spread that, that just fascination, curiosity, I, I think the better, you know, we've got the Cleveland crib here behind my shoulder. Um, just a, phenomenally cool like hey we're sucking in lake water from five miles out it's traveling miles the lakes like it's cold on the bottom warm on the top there's all kinds of stuff happening out there and then it ends up in your in your tap so it 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 helps to build this trust back too and this is one thing that was evident during the toledo water crisis these buoys helped restore that trust of we're we're watching the lake we know what it's doing Mm -hmm. Uh, and that didn't exist before so i think uh you know, the more we can help the public uh, respect, understand, and, and and trust that we, you know, the lakes are big, but there's relatively simple things we can do. You know, we're not going to the moon here. We're just going to put out another buoy. So, yeah, one buoy at a time. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Ed, for talking with us today. Um, and we have lots of links and resources that we'll put on the Lakes Chat webpage, greatlakes.org slash Lakes Chat. So thanks so much again, Ed, for chatting with us today. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Jennifer. My pleasure. Always happy to talk about buoys. Thank you for listening. On our website, greatlakes.org slash Lakes Chat, you'll find links to more information about the topics that we talked about today. And you can also sign up for updates to stay in the know about Great Lakes issues and opportunities to get involved. Special thank you to my colleague, Michelle Farley, who produces this podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you'll know when the next episode drops. Talk to you next week.